a good evening, everyone. Okay. You can see from your um, from your sheet there. They're actually on lesson number ten, which is kind of crazy that we're getting close to wrapping up um, our study here. In um, talking about metaphors, kind of pictures of uh, different things in the Christian life. And the lesson tonight is uh, on being a servant or the servant of Christ. And this was definitely a very challenging lesson to me um, in preparing it, and I hope it is to you as well on that. Anybody else need any other writing utensils or anything? Is there any extra handouts by chance? They all go. Did anyone need a pencil? Anything? Nothing? Nope. Okay. That actually is a very good point. I didn't catch that until you just said that. But this is actually the scripture song, um, at least similar to it, on uh, what we've been looking at. First Samuel twelve twenty four is the text, the text verse here. And it's only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart for consider how great things he hath done for you yeah that is exactly what the the scripture song is there first samuel 12 24 the attitude of a servant has two spheres or two areas to think about that that's kind of what we're going to be looking at tonight is what he's supposed to be which is his inward qualities and then what he's supposed to do outward it's an interesting statement here when he strives to be who he is supposed to be it will be much easier to do what he's supposed to do when he's when he when a servant strives to be who he's supposed to be it'll be much easier to do what he's supposed to do Let's go ahead and pray before we um, jump into the lesson tonight. Lord, would you, would you thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here um, in your house and to, just to lead this study here, talking about the idea and the privilege of, of being a servant to you. And I pray that this lesson will be a challenge and um, um, will cause us, cause us to think um, and to evaluate our service to you. Uh, I pray that it would just be a challenge to others, as it was to me. And as you can just be with us tonight, but let's be able to be focused on the lesson and just um, opening our hearts to what you want to do in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The concept of being a servant is a very indispensable part of the Christian life. And faithful, wholehearted service is really our privilege as God's children. So some objectives to, to think about this evening is we'll look at the kind of the relationship between the inward qualities of a servant that then produce the outward actions of a servant. And hopefully at the end, we will uh, be determining to serve the Lord wholeheartedly and enthusiastically with it. And then we'll offer ourselves as obedient, diligent, faithful, you could name a bunch of other things there, servants of the Lord. So jumping into the, the lesson here. And we already read the text verse, 1 Samuel 12, 24. And it's interesting to think about, but 
really the word servant is one of the most accurate descriptions of the Lord. A biblical synonym for that word servant is minister, and you see that in Mark a lot. Uh, Mark 10.45, I think that should be the first, I think that's the first verse on there. Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Isn't that interesting? For even, kind of learns the words there, even. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. To be a servant. He came to be a servant. And to give his life a ransom for many. So the main point, there's actually two of them, as you'll see on your paper there. And your blank on this one starts with an I. You've been thinking you might guess it. Inward. Inward qualities of a servant of the Lord. But then it jumps right to subpoint A. So wholehearted, it starts with an S. Wholehearted service, yep. The verse in First uh, Samuel that are kind of our text verse here, it emphasizes two aspects regarding our service for the Lord. First one is to serve him in truth, which is the idea of insincerity, not just for show. And then with all your heart wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. And again, that's Samuel speaking there, I believe, in kind of his last address to the, to the nation with the whole thing with asking for a king and that whole kind of thing there. Uh, Joshua 22.5, the next verse on the sheet. <coughs> but take diligent heed to the commandment and the law which Moses, Moses the servant of the Lord, charged you. To love the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cleave unto him, and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. You see it there again, within the last part of that verse there, to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. And the generations that followed Joshua's generation, as we know, they did not do that consistently. And Judges 2.10, they knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he'd done for Israel. But again, but again kind of goes into that whole cycle that you know, we know about with uh, sin, God's wrath and judgment, repentance from that, deliverance, last that way for a little bit, then it would turn her over again. And there's many, diff- many cycles, and that's repeated in the book of Judges that we see there. Their example reminds us that God's people need to serve God with their whole hearts or eventually, they'll cease serving him altogether. It's an interesting thought. As God's people, we need to serve God with our whole heart, or otherwise, we'll eventually stop serving him altogether. And that probably should be a scary thought to us. Now, in First Chronicles twenty-eight nine, David charges his son Solomon again, very similarly to what we've already seen. He says, "Know thou the God of thy father." An interesting. Know the God of your father. How many times it talks about generations that they didn't know. They didn't follow the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. And serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. Again, that perfect heart has the idea of no undivided, unwavering, committed. A wholehearted servant of God is to be loyal. 
Paul instructed Timothy this in uh, 1 Timothy 6.1. He says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and of his doctrine be not blasphemed. A servant has one master, and that one master is who he's responsible to for his honor and his allegiance. Matthew 6.24. It's not possible to have a divided heart when it comes to serving God. The wholehearted servant of God is one who is loyal and does not try to serve the world as well at the same time. There's a couple interesting illustrations here given of uh, that idea of divided loyalty. Um, the first one is in 1920, several members from the Chicago White Sox were accused of taking bribes from gamblers and deliberately losing the previous year's World Series, and that was known as the Black Sox scandal, which resulted in eight players being banned from the game for life. Uh, the second one was during World War II, a woman known as Tokyo Rose, through propaganda radio broadcasts, struck at the morale of the American servicemen. An American citizen of Japanese descent who was born in Los Angeles and had an earned degree from UCLA, actually, was she was eventually convicted of treason after the war ended. Similarly, Axis Sally, a native of Ohio, was responsible for supporting the Nazis in the same way that Tokyo Rose supported the Japanese. And a more recent one, anybody heard of Hanoi Jane, known as Jane Fonda, the well-known actress and daughter of Henry Fonda, who openly supported the communist regime in North Vietnam during the Vietnam War. Of course, there's other examples of disloyalty in Scripture. A um, good example is Korah and his rebellion there in Numbers chapter 16. And God opened up the earth and swallowed him up literally in that case. Absalom and David. Um, of course, then Judas Iscariot. In Christ. But then there's also those in the Bible who were loyal when it wasn't easy or safe. Think of Daniel. It says he refused to defile himself with the king's meat. Then, of course, even later you see that again with the lion's den, the whole situation with Daniel. Similarly, in that same time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow. And, of course, then there, in Hebrews 11, there's a lot, of, a lot of examples given there of many saints who were rewarded for their loyalty by miraculous acts of deliverance, and, but it also tells of those who suffered great trials and death in their situations. Think of the Lord's temptation in the wilderness himself. It's interesting he actually said this, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Has that idea of loyalty in it. A wholehearted servant of the Lord is loyal. Are we loyal? Even when that's costly. Subpoint B, this starts with an L. Now, the idea of the inward qualities of a servant. You have wholehearted service and then you have B, starts with an L. Loving. Servants have a variety of motives for continuing in their position. Some are paid for it. Some enjoy the appreciation. 
Some hope that service will then be returned down the road to them. But those who serve out of love know the highest motivation for rendering service. They are among those who are the most Christ-like. Because the Lord Jesus is Christ's motive of love is what moved him to make the ultimate sacrifice. And he chose the cross because he loved us. Titus 2.14 says that Christ gave himself for us, and that's the highest example of service. And we should follow that example. In Galatians 5.13, it encourages us to, by love, serve one another. We serve Christ by serving others. And we serve to the highest effectiveness when we do that out of love, as just as he did. So subpoint C, now we had um, like wholehearted, then we had loving, and this starts with an H. Talking about inward qualities again. Hope. Not hope. Something you definitely like to see in other people, not as easy to do yourself. Humble. In a day when self-esteem is deemed essential for success, humility is a quality that's definitely in short supply. And round. Hebrews twelve twenty-eight. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We need to serve God with reverence and with our eyes on Him instead of ourselves. We think too much of ourselves and too little of God. So often. Mark 9, 33 to 35. Is that, actually, is that on your sheet? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> and he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, it's interesting note. Christ already knew the subject of their discussion, but he wanted uh, them to admit it. They were ashamed to say it, and they did it because their pride was showing. But Jesus kindly set them straight in this, on the idea of what true greatness really was. But it's interesting, that's Mark 9, and the very next chapter, he has to do the same thing again, specifically with Peter and John, with uh, James and John, excuse me. Mark, Mark 10, 43 to 45. Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto you, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus would further illustrate this in, the, in service, practically here, when he would gird himself with a towel and then go around and wash his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. The Son of God humbled himself to the lowliest of servants to perform a very menial task. He effectively used the most powerful method of teaching, teaching by example. And he demonstrated the humility that he expected from his disciples. Luke 14, 11. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. 
it's interesting. You can see the promise here to a servant who exhibits humility that he'll be rewarded for it. How can we show our humility as a servant of Christ? Humility is shown by gratefulness. A humble servant is a grateful servant. One common lament about young people today is that they're not grateful. And that we've had these conversations, you know. They don't seem to be grateful. An attitude of gratitude. But you know what? We need to set that example ourselves before we expect it in others. You know, as servants of the Lord, one of the most important attributes should be that of gratitude. We're commanded to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Would you like to know the will of God for your life? Part of it is to give God thanks in everything. Not just in pleasant times, but in hard and confusing times as well. He's worthy of that gratitude. Have you ever stopped to think that anything God gives us is better than what we deserve? If God gave us what we really deserve, where would we be? The wages of sin is death. Of course, not just physically, but spiritually as well. We need to be grateful for God's mercy. So subpoint D here. You've seen um, like wholehearted, we have loving, humble. Again, these are inward qualities of a servant. This one starts with a J. Joyful. The Bible has much to say about the joy that a believer can and should have in Christ. There's a couple things here it talks about um, things joy in. First one is joy for the birth of Christ. Luke 2, 10 to 11. I think that's... Are those on your sheet? Those aren't? Okay. Luke 2, 10 to 11, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Joy at Christ's birth. How about joy for the word of God? 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, it says, And ye became followers of us, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with Joy of the Holy Ghost. Then third, joy in God's presence. Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 100 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Isn't that interesting? Serve. Serve with gladness. That kind of... Uh, Takes out the whole point of doing stuff out of duty, doesn't it? The servant of the Lord should serve joyfully. Why? Because the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. That's verse 5 of Psalm 100. So, 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 so far we've discussed what a servant of the Lord is supposed to be, kind of the inward, the inward qualities. So now it's kind of pivot here and look at what a servant is supposed to do. But again, remembering that if we are what we're supposed to be, 
we will do what we're supposed to do. So you can probably guess what the next, uh, what your main point two starts with. Outward. Outward qualities of a servant of the Lord. So sub point A, he's obedient in his, starts with an A. Obedient in his actions. A servant is to execute the commands and the wishes of his master. He must obey his master or he's no servant at all. Luke 17, 7 to 10. But which of you having a servant plowing, uh, which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve thee, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. So he thanked that servant because he did the things that were commanded him, I trow not. So likewise be when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you to say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which we duty to do. Interesting passage. <laughs> Thinking about those verses there. Did he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow or think or suppose not. A servant is to obey his master and not count it a remarkable thing. He, did not, he is not to desire or expect special praise because he did as he was told. His duty is whatever his master commands. In fact, the servant is to count himself as unprofitable. The idea of you know, useless, good for nothing, if he only does his duty. The servant needs to give 100% obedience, obviously, to his master. 1 Peter 2.18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. And the word froward here means unfair or surly. Perverse, wicked. It's the very definition, the very definition of that is the antithesis of good and gentle, what it's compared to. So the obedience of the servant must so the obedience the servant must render to his master doesn't depend on the disposition of it of his master or on how he feels toward his master. He's supposed to obey an unkind master as well as a kind master. Titus two nine. Your servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. In other words, the servant is to obediently please the master in all things without putting up any arguments. Think of uh, parents with young children here. You know, sometimes you kids know you just need to do what you're told and be quiet. So think kind of returning now to that idea of like an unprofitable servant. An unprofitable servant is just one who does his job. How can a servant be profitable then? Any thoughts? How can we give more than 100%? You can go the second mile that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 41. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twenty. So if we're required to go a mile, 
We ought to be willing to go too. Ernie Banks played for the Chicago Cubs and earned the right to appear in the Hall of Fame. He was known as Mr. Cub, and he's one of the most beloved figures in Chicago sports history. His statistics are impressive, but what Chicago loved most about Ernie Banks was his attitude toward the game. He used to say, let's play two today. Doubleheaders are a rarity nowadays, but years ago that, that was more common on that. And he would have done it every day if they would have let him. Let's play two today. You want me to go a mile? Let's go two. Enthusiastic obedience transforms us into profitable servants. Enthusiastic obedience is what transforms us into profitable servants. It gives an example here, uh, preaching to the uh, music leaders here, John. <laughs> it says, one duty of a music leader is to lead the congregational singing. If he were to approach the pulpit at the beginning of the service with a blank expression on his face and greet the congregation in a monotone voice, asking them to sing with him, he would be obeying the basic requirements of the position. He's leading the singing, but there's a lot more that's needed, obviously, besides that. You know, a song leader needs to generate enthusiasm, and he does that in part by being enthusiastic himself. He needs more than obedience. He needs enthusiastic obedience. John does a good job with getting people's attention. and uh, Exactly what I was thinking. Because enthusiasm makes a difference. Real enthusiasm comes from within. It's not something that you just put on to look good in front of others. If it's just a facade, it's useless. And my wife was talking about this this afternoon. With VBS, we need to be enthusiastic with, with kids. Like, that's what gets people in it. But it has to be real for us. It can't be manufactured. Hollywood actors, for the most part, are very different from the characters that they portray. They're paid an incredible amount of money to pretend that they're somebody else. For example, anybody know what John Wayne's real name was? Marion Morrison, and he was born in Iowa. He was not a real cowboy, and he never served in the military. He was only a prop boy in a studio that somebody just noticed and decided to give him a try as an actor. So when it comes to enthusiasm, don't just be an actor. The Greek word entheos, from which we get our word enthusiasm, means having the God within. As believers, we have God in us. Therefore, the source of our enthusiasm is the indwelling Holy Spirit. And as we allow the Holy Spirit free reign in our lives, our enthusiasm will show, and it will be genuine. We need to obey the Lord with the enthusiasm that comes from the consciousness of his presence within us. Enthusiasm makes obedience more effective. Obeying with cheerfulness also makes a difference in our attitude. And it will affect others as well, because enthusiasm is contagious, which is exactly what they have. As soon as John starts doing that, what all the little guys do? They all get all excited about getting started. Now, we spoke earlier of being wholehearted. 
but kind of let's, let's kind of get back to that for a minute. You know, there's whole, there's half-hearted obedience, and then there's wholehearted obedience. You know, the actions may be the same temporarily, but the results are different in the end. Half-hearted obedience will falter and eventually become disobedience. Think of the children of Israel in that sense. Half-hearted obedience will eventually become disobedience. Whereas wholehearted obedience is what the Lord desires from us. And you can see that example. Again, think of the children of Israel. You had those that were half-hearted who only followed because they had to versus the ones who were wholehearted at it. And you see the different results at the end on those. Colossians 3, 22 to 24. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. This is the word heartily that uh, in our Bible here is often translated soul. And remember that Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 to 39, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We should obey God, yes, but don't be content with bare bones obedience. We should serve him with enthusiasm and let it show to others. So subpoint B Diligent in his, starts with a D. Diligent in his duties. Yep. A diligent person is one who's hardworking, industrious, conscientious, and thorough. A person who does his best. The Lord certainly gave us his best, didn't he? Think of his son. Should we be willing to give our best in return? If you think, think of Bible characters, can you think of, there's one in here that we'll talk about, but who are some Bible characters who exemplified diligence? Think of Joseph. Paul, definitely the Apostle Paul. Think Old Testament specifically. Yeah, Moses, Daniel, that's actually the one we're looking at. Nehemiah. Nehemiah provided a very stellar example of diligence. And when we, when we first see him, what was he? He's a servant, wasn't he? He was a servant, the cupbearer for the king. And that was a, a very important post. We've kind of talked about that before. Um, has a quote here from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia talking about a cupbearer, that he was an officer of high rank at ancient oriental courts, whose duty it was to serve the wine at the king's table. And because of the constant fear of plots and intrigues, it, the person who had that position had to be thoroughly trustworthy to be in that position. Because he would guard against poison in the king's cup and would sometimes be required to swallow some of it, of the wine, before it was given to the king. His confidential relations with the king, though, often endeared him to his sovereign, but it also gave him a position of great influence, as we can see from Nehemiah and the situation there. 
He was a diligent servant. I think he would still be in that position if he was anything less. No. And when he was released then from captivity to go rebuild the walls, he led his people to be diligent as well. They had to be diligent because they had enemies all around them. They were trying everything they could to get them to stop. And they even had to build with their weapons in their hands to be ready to fight at any moment. But in spite of all that opposition and the difficulties, the wall was finished. Anybody remember how long? It's 52 days, which is kind of incredible. You think about that. Jerusalem. In Nehemiah 4, 6, we see one of the reasons for their success. It says the people had a mind to work. Now, the word for mind is the idea of no heart. It's also translated that too in other, other passages. Now, the people had a mind and a heart to work because they were diligent. And they accomplished that work for the Lord because of that. There's a song, um, I, think it, I think it's in our songbook, um, but you've probably heard it before as well. Hear ye the master's call, give me thy best. For, be it great or small, that is his test. Do then the best you can, not for reward, not for the praise of men, but for the Lord. Every work for Jesus will be blessed. But he asks from every one his best. Our talents may be few, these may be small. But unto him is due our best, our all. Employers have a right to expect that their employees will do their best. And as Christian believers who want to have a good testimony for the Lord, we need to be diligent, of course, at our places of employment. Um, it says, in times of a lean economy, if you're not willing to work hard and do your best, it wouldn't be too difficult probably to find other people who would in those situations. But the diligence can make a difference. We need to be diligent in every duty that the Lord entrusts to our care, whether that's in the workplace, at home, in the ministry, church, you name it. Diligence. So sub-point C, we had um, obedient in our actions, uh, diligent in our duties, and then faithful in his, starts with an R, yep, faithful in his responsibilities. 1 Corinthians 4.2. Not sure who's next. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. In the parable of the nobleman and his three stewards in Matthew 25, we learn that above everything, God desires his servants to be faithful. From beginning to the end, the Bible stresses faithfulness. And the individuals whom God has blessed and used throughout history have one thing in common been faithful. We can all be faithful, no matter what our different abilities or backgrounds are. So there's three aspects of faithfulness that are mentioned here. First one is in the verse we just read in 1 Corinthians 4.2, that faithfulness is required. It's not what we have that is important, but rather it's what we do with what we have. That's goes back to that Matthew 25 parable there with the stewards. They didn't all get the same thing. They didn't all have the same thing, but it's what they did with it 
it mattered. So faithfulness is required, then two, faithfulness is reckoned. And the idea of that in Romans. Our works will be compared not against others' work, but against what we could have accomplished. Isn't that kind of an interesting thought? You know, we'll be compared to what we could have done, not against what somebody else did. And then third, faithfulness will be rewarded, though. Of all the things that the Lord could say about our lives, will he be able to say that we've been faithful? Like that well done, now good and faithful servant. So in conclusion, a true servant of the Lord must have these qualities kind of that we talked about, the idea of wholeheartedness, humility, obedience, diligence, and faithfulness. Christ deserves our best. Then the question is begged, are we the servants that our master deserves? So some questions we'll look at uh, real quick um, before we close this evening. Number one, what are two specific characteristics that we need in order to serve God wholeheartedly? Loyalty and love. Number two, Christ is the greatest example of humility. What are three ways you can think of in which he demonstrated that? Many, but what some? Coming to earth. Obeying the Father. Washing the disciples' feet. How about he ate with publicans and sinners? Think of the cross, submitting himself to that. I don't know, think about it, submitting himself to earthly authorities that were dead wrong and, hate, and hated him. That definitely took quite, quite some humility. Anything else think of? Again, if we sat here for long enough, we could probably fill up the whiteboard with examples. So what three outward qualities given in this lesson should mark a servant? Three outward qualities. Obedient in his actions, diligent in his duties, and faithful in his responsibilities. Number four, a servant who only does what he's told is an unprofitable servant. How can a servant give more? How can he be profitable? Go the second mile and serve with enthusiastic obedience. People serve for a variety of reasons, some pure and some selfish. List some possible motives for service that are both good or bad. What words in your list then describe your motives. So what's some possible motives that people have? To get something out of it. Position. Get paid for it, maybe. So they're all kind of negative. What are some good motives? 
love, gratitude for what someone else has done, humility. Love would be the greatest. It would be the greatest uh, motivation in there. An effective servant of the Lord serves wholeheartedly. Would those who know you best be able to honestly say that you love the Lord with your heart, all your heart, and give Him your all? Again, question to think about for yourself. The next two are the same. It says, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate your enthusiasm for obediently serving the Lord? And then probably the better question is, where would God rate you? And then lastly, the most needful quality of a servant is faithfulness. In what ways can you grow in your faithfulness to the Lord, your family, or your church? Again, some things to think about. Hopefully, again, this, this is a challenging lesson that it really it hits in here. It is mostly about in here. Out here is just the performance of what's in here. Um, any thoughts anybody had? Anything that stood out to you? <laughs> Anything that stood out to anybody specifically? It was. There's a couple. That, that thought that we kind of started out with, though, that that if we strive to be who we're supposed to be, it'll be easier to do what we're supposed to do. Which that's the whole idea, you know, we talk about all the time. You know, what's inside comes out, garbage in, garbage out. You know, it's that whole same idea. I mean, it also for me, something stood out was that, you know, that idea of we need to serve God wholeheartedly or otherwise we'll just stop eventually altogether if it's half-hearted on that. Anything else? About serving the Lord with gladness. And then idea of being profitable. No, sometimes we give our ourselves too much so much credit for doing what we're supposed to do. But really that doesn't really mean anything. If we do what we're supposed to do, we're just doing what we're supposed to do. But it's then that idea then of, okay, how do we take that to the next level? It's the enthusiastic obedience on that. Any last thoughts before we close? Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I do thank you for the lesson tonight. That it is definitely a challenge. That it hits home. <laughs> it definitely hits home in the tone of my life. And I pray that it does in the lives of others as well here and in our church. And, and of course, as we're getting ready for VBS, you know, as Pastor mentioned, it's a very good um, pre-prelude um, kind of to that, of checking our motives, and then 
and serving you with, again, enthusiastic obedience, not just doing it because we have to, but doing it to be profitable, to be a profitable servant, not an unprofitable one. Uh, I do pray that you work in my life to that end. I pray that you work in the lives of others here as well. And um, we do specifically think of VBS that you would just be in that, help us to be have our hearts and lives prepared for it, and that you'd just be pre- preparing hearts and lives of those that come um, to, to receive your word, that um, there'd be just many seeds planted in the lives of, of kids this um, well, not this week, but over the next couple weeks uh, that would come to fruition in their lives in your time. And I pray that you would just be, again, bring those that you would want to have here and just help us to be able to, to serve, um, serve those that are um, coming for VBS. And I pray that you'd give us uh, safety as we go to our homes this evening and then bring us back together again on Wednesday. In Jesus' name, amen.